The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. We all have all kinds of family traditions, and I've been thinking about the family traditions that I grew up with. They're different than uh, everyone else's, I'm sure. I know that people have different ways to decorate their houses and the kind of trees they uh, use. And I just want to take a quick poll and see how many of you prefer to use artificial Christmas trees in your house rather than a real tree of some kind. So if you have an artificial tree, uh, that's almost everybody. There's that's us, for sure. Uh, that's, that's, that's an advantage because you can use the same tree over and over, usually. And uh, it, it's a little safer with, the, uh, with having a, a tree in the house, not drying out. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Now, how many of you like uh, the, tr- the traditional live tree that's been cut down, put in your house? Anybody? There you go. We have just a few there. That's how I grew up is with those. We, uh, they didn't have as many for sale on lots in our town. You had to go out and cut it. And the part of the country I come from, we didn't have pine trees or spruce trees or anything like that. We had cedar trees. So we cut down a cedar tree and, uh, that we'd bring it into the house and, uh, it'd be real pretty. They're not shaped quite as uniformly as maybe a, a spruce tree is, but they are pretty trees. They're nice and full. And the house would smell like uh, a cedar tree for a few weeks. It's a good thing. It's a good memory. So having that fragrance in the house reminds me of Christmas time. Uh, my grandparents lived right next door to us, and there were lots of us on this long road, all the all the cousins kind of lived along this long road. A few of them were rebels, and they had moved to town. So uh, there, we all would uh, gather together at my grandparents' house for uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, they would cut some, one of the cousins, the oldest ones, would go out and cut a tree, and uh, they were never satisfied with the size of the tree. It's got to get be a little bit bigger next year and a little bit bigger the next year, and uh, I'm not sure if they were cutting down trees big enough to make a defense post later on, but they were cutting some trees down. And uh, they would get to the point they would hit the ceiling and bend over just a couple of feet, a whole room full of trees. And in that room, we would uh, we would cram a lot of people in. There were I had um, uh, six brothers and sisters in the family, so that's you know five aunts, uh, and my and my dad was the only uncle. And their families, so 27 cousins and grandparents in a room half the size of Fellowship Hall. So tiny room. And uh, in the corner would be a old Dearborn heater. And that Dearborn heater would be turned up so high that people would have to go out on the porch and cool off and come back in to uh, spend time with people. So you get a picture of the room. Underneath the tree, there were presents, and the tradition was that every kid got a present from every section of the family. So underneath that tree, you'd have six or seven presents apiece, and uh, they would be all kinds of shapes and sizes. And some people were very obvious in how they wrapped their presents. If you picked up one and it was squishy like this, and it was about that wide and about that tall, it was a pair of knee-high white tube socks. It was guaranteed. You didn't spend much time looking at that one. And then there were some you couldn't tell what they were. So you would have to go over, you'd find that, find that present, 
And uh, somewhere along the way, we inherited a bunch of boxes like this. And this is how I like to wrap Christmas presents now. It's a hard box that you put the Christmas present in, and uh, then you can close it up, put a little tape right there, and that's you're done. You're finished with wrapping. You can go put it away in the attic, and you can do wrap somebody's present in it next year. So in this present, you'd pick it up, and what do you do to find out what's in it? You shake it. So you shake that present. Does anybody shake presents anymore? The kids shake presents anymore? They still do, don't they? They want to know what's in there. Now, I've got one at home like this, and I didn't want to bring it. You shake it, it's got a hunting knife in it. You can't tell it's a hunting knife because I wrap it in tissue paper, and it's kind of nestled in there. It just kind of feels like, oh, you know, about six, seven ounces in there. So then you've got, we, we had something happen, a development along the way, that is probably the most, the easiest way to wrap a Christmas present. This, this requires the effort of pulling it open, dropping something in it, putting a little paper on top of it, taping it shut. So I'm going to shake this uh, today. I want you to listen good, see if you can tell what's in this. Can anybody hear it? No, it's in there. It's in there tight. I can tell you what it is because they're not here today. This is a little bitty tiny toddler leather purse. So this is a purse for Lily. So, um, but you couldn't tell what it is. You open it up, and it's a surprise. That's the reason we wrap those presents. We wrap because we want to, uh, to give something to someone that is a surprise. Now, I, I've been notorious for guessing uh, Christmas gifts over the years, and uh, so I try not to guess anymore because when you guess what well, someone got you and you're right, it hurts their feelings. So it's probably best not to guess. We get lots of surprises in life, and uh, you may have had a surprise this week. You may have a surprise happen to you tomorrow, something that's good, something might be bad, something you get in the mail, something somebody tells you. There are things that happen all the time that catch us off guard and surprise us to where we have heard something that we weren't quite expecting to hear. Um, we, um, I'll tell you about this in a little bit. I did the classic, go to the doctor, got a bad report this week. It happens all the time. I even preach about it every now and then because I think it's happening to everybody else instead of me. Uh, suddenly it happens to me. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we know, if you know a little bit of uh, the history, the Jewish history, and how culture was would treat this situation, they were betrothed at a very young age. She could have been as young as 12, possibly 12 through 14 in that age. A young lady, she had been committed to marry Joseph, and that was a contractual relationship. It was as if they were married in the eyes of God, in, in Jewish law, they were a couple. So in, the, in the, the middle of that, as this uh, was going about, we know that, by the way, Luke will tell this from a very different perspective. Matthew's going, to tell, Matthew's going to tell the story in a perspective that lays out the history and the legality of all that's going on. If I'd have gone back to the first part of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, and read through all the lineage, you'd see all the historical uh, documentation of who Joseph was and who uh, Mary was and... <laughs> the kind of relationship they had, and that they were 
bound deeply into the Hebrew culture. Luke would have spent the way that the Gentile culture would have understood, the, the educated culture, the people of, of, of the day that's not Hebrew in that area. They would have understood what he was writing in the, in the background of that. But in this writing, he says to them that Mary, who was pledged and who was committed to Joseph before they came together, she was found pregnant. Now, they had no expectation of that happening. No way did they know. They could pick up that box of life, and every single Jew that you would have handed this box to about the coming of Jesus would have shaken that box, and they would have guessed something else then. Jesus was going to be born of the Virgin Mary. That's a, that they had no idea that was coming, but it came, even though it was prophesied. You go back to Isaiah chapter 7, and I want to take us back there just for a minute, back to, to this promise from the Old Testament this, this, that God had given his people. Now, this is in the midst of the invasion or an attack on the people of Israel, and I'll read just a little bit of what was going on in that attack. Uh, verse 5, Aram, we're in 7. Of Isaiah, chapter 7 of Isaiah, verse 5, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us divide or invade Judah, and let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only risen within 65 years, Ephraim will be sh- will be too shattered to be a people. That's the northern kingdom there. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So the Lord is coming in saying, stand firm. I've got a better plan. I have a better plan. I have a bigger plan beyond this small region of skirmishes going on in your lives. I have something way bigger out there that I'm going to reveal to you. I'm going to show you what's happening. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, asked the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of God also? And therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord's speaking to you, not to him personally. He's saying to you folks, I'm speaking to you. The Lord is going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of these two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So all these things that you're worried about today are going to be passed. And then the, then the Savior will come. The Messiah will be here for the world. So that's the background of what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 1. We get a little bit bigger perspective of what's happening. Crisis can cause us, fear can cause us to lose perspective. Verse 19, back in Matthew 1, verse 19. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was a good man, a righteous man in the ways of the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. There was only a couple of options what could have happened with her being unfaithful. The options were for her to be divorced quietly. The other one was, if it would have been made public, it was a sentence of death for Mary. She would have been stoned to death. But Joseph did not want that to happen to her. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You know, I told you one of the dreaded uh, gifts when I was a kid was socks. Um, if you got socks, you needed socks, by the way. Everybody needs socks, and they disappear quickly. And sometimes you would open that present, and it would be something different than socks. It would probably be a matchbox car. you got to buy 27 presents for your nieces and nephews. Matchbox cars fits the bill. So we'd all get a bunch of matchbox cars. What's crazy about this whole situation is my mother calls and asks me weekly from September on till December, uh, what would you like for Christmas? Uh, I hope she's not watching this, but that's what she does. She calls all the time. What do you want for Christmas? My answer is this. Well, I kind of want some socks. Now, I don't want just any old sock. I want a certain kind of socks. It's, a, it's going to be an Eddie Bauer sock or some kind of sock with a wool blend or something, you know, something like that that I'm going to get. It's going to last a long time, long enough for me to lose by midsummer. And also, another gift I tell her I like every year is if it makes her so mad to tell her this. I say to her, would you buy me some of those cedar wooden closet hangers? Because they disappear quick, too. And I like those those kind of hangers in my closet. And it keeps jackets like this get all wrinkled up, sweaters get all wonky if you don't hang them right. So I like these hangers. And she says, I am not buying you hangers for Christmas. My perspective's different at this age than it was way back then. Our perspective, when we see God work over time, is we look at crisis a little different, don't we? We look at it as uh, it is dreadful at times, it is caused fear at times, but we also know that God has a bigger plan. He has more things in mind. He has something he is doing that we don't quite know about, and we look forward to the answer or the culmination of whatever that crisis is because we know God will be glorified. Isn't that right? Now, um, here, here's the news I was telling, talking about earlier. I go in for a pre-op for a knee, a knee surgery. Uh, Philip, you know about that? And they say, well, before you can do that, uh, you got a problem. you got to get fixed. And that problem is uh, you didn't do good. I didn't do good on the stress test, the heart stress test. Um, I've had stents before, so I've been through this route. I knew when I uh, was on the thing, I said, ooh, they're going to get me this time. Uh, I'm not going to pass this one. So uh, I sit down. Um, they get me out of there. I go home and I get a call. And the call goes to Karen's phone instead of my phone. She looks real serious. They tell me, yeah, you've, you've got probably got a blockage. You're going to have to have something done. We need you to come in this date. And immediately from when I went to the doctor, I kind of jogged from the truck to the parking lot. 
I mean, to the, uh, the building because I was a little bit late, had all kinds of energy, was in a good mood, joking with people up and down the, uh, the, uh, the elevator. But after I got that phone call, I said, go get the wheelchair because I'm not going to make it to the front door. I'm out of breath already. In the moment, you feel crisis. In the moment, you feel crisis. And then you're reminded of truth. Reminded of the Lord, what, he's, what he is doing. and his, He has control over these situations. Verse 20, But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take me as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What others see as a problem is your salvation. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. A direct quote from Isaiah 7.14. That means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. If you find yourself in a crisis, find yourself in trouble, find yourself with worrisome news, you find yourself with a great big surprise when you open up that box and look inside and not the surprise you expected, what the first thing we should do instead of to turn to fear and dread is turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, what's going on? Lord, will you help me? Lord, I give this over to you. Deuteronomy 4.29 states this real clear. It says, but if there, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, seek him. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Psalm 94.19. So after we get to praying, we get some perspective. We get to see things a little bit better. Friday night we went to the uh, the parade for Pineville, the Pineville Christmas Parade. Uh, two things I don't like are parades and festivals. I don't know why I don't like them. I like looking at them from a distance. I don't like getting in right up in there and mixing up with them, but I'm with a family of folks, especially my kids, that like to be on the front row, first there. It might have been some holdover from the past when they got candy thrown at them and they liked that. We're here at this parade, and uh, everything's kind of, everybody's starting to crowd in around us. We have got there in plenty of time, but when you have plenty of space with plenty of time, somehow other people like to make that no space when they come in. They kind of crowd up on you. So people are crowding up on us. They're behind us, and along come the floats, and I've got to pick Lily up. She's on my shoulder so she can see, also to keep her from, from being down around all that's going on down here. So I'm holding her up here. And the parades are coming, and they're just winging the candy at us. They don't, you know, you know. It's, I guess it's illegal now to toss candy underhanded. They like to full-on overhand throw it at you. So they're throwing here. I'm, we're, just, we're dodging tootsie rolls and peppermints all over the place. And uh, somebody throws a a, um, a frisbee out, and I accidentally grab it, and I grab that frisbee, and I'm holding it like this. Got Lily with one one arm, and I'm blocking candy like this. 
trying not to hit her in the face. And then, the, I'm not going to tell you which company it was, because they're going to get in trouble over this. Uh, along comes one float, and they're go, going along. An elf in the back of a pickup opens an ice case, ice chest up, pulls out a full Sprite can. And I think, well, she's going to drink that right there in front of us. No, she picked it up and just winged it into the crowd. And I'm afraid for Lily as she's on top of my shoulders and and uh, the crowd in front of me. So I've got, the, I've got my, my block, my shield in front of her, and I'm doing something like this. And, of course, she misses us. And, but it, it goes past us, it hits a boy right in the forehead, and, and it busts open, and he's bleeding. It's, not, it's a bad scene. You know, all I had to do to, to solve that problem was is take a few steps back. That's all I had to do is take a few steps back. So after that, I think I realized it. I took about six steps back. You can still see everything just fine. It's all just fine. You've got a bigger perspective. You see further this way and farther that way. And when things are coming at you in life and you're deep in prayer, it's good to, to meet with some folks, talk with some folks, talk with the Lord, to take a few steps back and say, God, what are you doing in my life right now? What are you doing? Get a better perspective. Luke 12, 22 talks about perspective. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't reap or sow. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Perspective matters. I think Joseph had the perspective from being a righteous man, from hearing from the Lord. He was able to step back and say, let's see what God is doing. Let's, let's see the process of how he is working. Once you get that perspective, you just move forward. You move forward in confidence, knowing who is walking with you through your trials. The Lord is with you through your trials. Verse 17 of Luke 12, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no Fear in love, and perfect love drives out fear. God's in control. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. I love how we read passages of scriptures in different seasons of our life, and they mean different things to us. You may read this passage in an early age, and it may mean one thing to you. You may read it today, you may hear it today, and the Lord is speaking something very deep and more clear to the situation that you are in, whatever it may be. You have troubles that you can't fix on your own, and he's speaking to you today. The Lord is rich with promises. The Word is rich with promises that gives us we get, we get special attention from his word when we read it in crisis. We know we can trust him. Fear not. There's nothing to fear. I'm with you. Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength 
and our ever-present ever help in trouble, by definition, a refuge is a safe place. We have refuge, a safe place, a hiding place in him. The Lord's our refuge. Now, after looking at all these words from the Lord, that he is speaking peace into people's lives, he's saying in your difficulty, in your fear, in your trouble, whatever, Joseph, whatever you're facing, this is something you've never even conceived could happen in your life. I want you to know I am with you. I'm walking alongside you. I will take care of you. I will have a plan for your life. And he has confidence in the Lord. Here's something the body of Christ can be. We can be yielders of confidence in other people's life. You have this word. You know these words. You've been preached these words. You've studied. You've taught them in Sunday school. You know this very same Bible study deep down in your heart. And you can be purveyors of that. There's a, um, a prayer that was written into a more poem form later on by St. Francis Assisi, and he's praying, uh, this prayer is about him being that kind of agent of peace in people's lives. And he says this, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, sow pardon. Where there's discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. And where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. And it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is dying that we are born to eternal life. St. Francis of Assisi. So we know these words. We have heard these truths of Christmas our whole lives. They're so interwoven into who we are. They're just as interwoven as that great big giant Christmas tree uh, cedar smell in the living room memory. They are, these words are woven into your life. And you have the ability to speak this kind of peace into someone else. To not be seeking understood, but understanding. And to not be always looking for forgiveness, but giving forgiveness. Not always giving, uh, waiting for a pardon, but giving pardon. Not hating, but loving. Not doubting, but have faith. That's the kind of, kind of hope we have. And I hope Christmas season is that kind of season for you and your family is the Lord uses you to help bring peace through his word in someone else's life. Open up to that, he'll use you. If you're facing one of those difficult days today, today's the day to turn it over to him, to trust him. Trust him with that fear and allow him to take control. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, so many words of encouragement you give us from Scripture and how you choose to use us, people that may be meager of abilities, Lord, but you choose to use us to speak peace in someone's life, to show love to someone who needs it. 
but most importantly, to show Jesus to those that don't have a Savior. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If the Lord speaking to you today and calling you today to make a response. Uh, I'm not saying there's any pressure on, but when the choir, when the music director gave an invitation earlier, 12 people came forward. Let's, uh, let's have a time of invitation. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.